Hey everyone, welcome back. I'd like to thank you for joining us again. I'm Sergio, the handler for Mayday's Doom to Repeat campaign, and with me, as always, is the handler for Black Project Gaming, Vince. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. Good to be here, as always, and glad to have everyone tuning in. If this is your first time on our channel, welcome. We're part of Mayday Roleplay. We play tabletop RPGs like Delta Green, Vampire the Masquerade, 5th Edition, Orpheus, and a whole lot more. There's something for everyone, all of it available in podcast format uh, or video format as well, and it's all completely free, so please check it out. Vince, we are excited today because although nothing looks different about the show, this episode is our first monthly installment where we will shift our focus from the King and Yellow and Impossible Landscapes, and instead we're going to cover the Delta Green news from the past few months. We're tackling the scenario reverberations, plus a dive into what makes the Delta Green community special. We spoke with four of the original members of the Green Box podcast to discuss it all. We've got lots to go over, very excited to share it with you. So find a nice cornerless room to settle into before the Hound of the Angles gets you, because you have found the dead drop. So Vince, while I don't think we'll cover the news every month, there has been a lot of fun updates within Delta Green in the past few. So I think we should round up those headlines and talk a little bit about them. Absolutely. To get, kick us off, uh, on August 7th, Arc Dream launched their own Delta Green-specific Patreon, uh, where they will be posting updates and previews of upcoming material. Interested agents can sign up for free in order to receive news on all the pending projects they've got in the works, but for $1, you'll get access to everything from our previews to scenario playtests and more. Uh, speaking of which, uh, patrons can download and playtest an upcoming scenario called Meridian which is written by Shane Ivey. Uh, in this scenario, written specifically for a handler and two agents, uh, two agents from the Religious Crimes Task Force are sent to Joplin, Missouri uh, to investigate the finances of a rural homeless youth shelter. Uh, and of course, they find something else uh, entirely. Uh, as of right now, you can join the Delta Green page Patreon. You can download that playtest now and be sure, please, to submit your playtest reports to Shane Ivey no later than September 15th. I'm excited about this Meridian. I, I hadn't heard anything about it until we started researching about what's been up with Delta Green in the past couple uh, months, and it sounds really cool. I, I especially like the two-agent scenario. I've seen a lot of um, discussions online about how do you run a game for just two folks, so it's cool to see that they've listened. Yeah, and one of the one of the interesting things about this scenario is it's written from the perspective of um, – inducting two new agents into Delta Green. Oh. Um, so, you know, they may start with zero knowledge of the program or the outlaws or the cowboys or anything. Um, by the end of the scenario, they are they are recruited. So it might be a great vector to bring to bring new players in, new agents in. Then there's Caleb Stokes's God's Teeth, which is a much-anticipated campaign that has been in the works for years now. Cover art was released on Dennis Detwiller's Patreon in June, and it is suitably disturbing. In an August 7th post on the New Delta Green Patreon, Arc Dream stated they think the PDF will be available in the fall and the hardback a few months later. However, as we all know, these projects can and do shift, so sign up on the Arc Dream Patreon for further updates. 
On August 14th, uh, Arcream posted an update stating they're working on a supplement to God's Teeth entitled God's Hunt. Hmm. Uh, this is a collection that'll feature four scenarios to help further build out the God's Teeth campaign. Uh, God's Eye, God's Breath, God's Law, and God's Light. Uh, while Eye, Breath, and Light were all previously featured on role-playing public radio in the original campaign that Caleb Stokes ran over there, God's Law is an entirely new scenario revolving around corruption in the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, which sounds uh, crazy interesting. Hmm. Uh, you can sign up for Caleb Stokes' Dead Channel's Patreon to hear how that one plays out, as they've already run through it, I believe. Uh, according to Arc Dream, the first of the God's Hunt scenarios will be available just after the publication of God's Teeth, with the others coming in subsequent months, followed by a hardback compilation. If folks are curious to learn more, you can listen to the entire God's Teeth campaign on role-playing public radio. I recommend it. it, it was, it's a great time. As well as in new playtest sessions on the Dead Channel's Patreon. Um, I do need to warn everyone that doesn't know much about God's Teeth. It is an especially rough and grim scenario, so be forewarned. Uh, children are not safe at all in that scenario. Uh, but a preview of the first 31 pages of God's Teeth was published on Debt Willer's Patreon on July 22nd, so be sure to join up and check it out. You'll also be able to find an early draft of the aforementioned God's Law scenario, among others. It, it seems like Arc Dream is really going all in on this uh, God's Teeth stuff. For, for such an intense scenario, uh, there must be a, a interest in it amongst the you know players. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, ever since RPPR did that uh, campaign, it, it's something that the, the fan base, I think, has been clamoring for. And what's crazy is how much it's kind of expanded since it was originally just a, a stretch goal, hmm. I believe, and one of the Kickstarters at Archery Ram. And now you're getting not only God's Teeth, uh, but you're getting, you know, all of these different gods scenarios kind of to, to flesh it all out. So it's 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 really good to see. Um, and, and it's awesome seeing Caleb Stokes, who who's uh, you know, was once a fan, just like you and me, uh, yeah. now, you know, but, but of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, an accomplished RPG writer in his own right. Um, now being able to work with Arc Dream, it's really cool to see, but to bring it back to the news. So back in August of 2021, uh, Arc Dream launched a Kickstarter for the conspiracy, which is a remastered source book, uh, converting the original Delta green for call of Cthulhu to the updated rule set. When the hardbacks were made available, they sold out pretty quickly and have been out of stock until now. Uh, for those who missed the initial Kickstarter, the book is back in stock for order. So go to shop.arcdream.com to pick up your copy. PDF versions are of course available on the Arc Dream website and drive through RPG. You know, we also know that the conspiracy Kickstarter resulted in a bunch of other projects being successfully funded. Uh, we've got an updated version of Puppet Shows and Shadow Plays, which is an introductory uh, Delta Green scenario written by Adam Scott Clancy, along with a short campaign called A New Age, scenarios like Dead Letter and A Night on Owl's Head Mountain, Grace Under Pressure, Artifact Zero, Holy War, and some King and Yellow-related material as well. Finally, additional source books are coming, one of which is The Millennium which will feature profiles of everything from Pisces, uh, the UK counterpart to Delta Green, right. and uh, GRU SV-8, the Russian counterpart, to uh, Phenomen X and the D-Stacks. There's also uh, machinations, incursions, shotgun scenarios, legacies, transcendence, and agencies. So a whole hell of a lot more to look forward to from, our, from the folks at Archery. It's going to be great. Also in August, two new scenarios were released, From the Dust and Presence. 
From the Dust is about agents investigating the disappearance of children and the strange reports about the nearby Garrison Mansion. If you check out the cover artwork, you might recognize a familiar furry face, as it seems Brown Jenkin will make an appearance. Lovecraft aficionados will recognize Brown Jenkin from the story Dreams in the Witch House. He is a rat with a man's face, and I assume you get to shoot a gun at him, so sounds awesome. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. A presence, on the other hand, centers around the unnatural disappearance and reappearance of a young woman from Alabama who turns up in New England in an instant. Judging from the cover art and the flavor text provided, I'm going to make a guess and say that it probably involves either Shubnigarath or maybe the Mego. You know, it mentions the dark woods and that kind of stuff. So that's my guess. Yeah, I'm going to take that goat of a thousand young bet for sure. <laughs> Before the release of From the Dust and Presence, there was Convergence, which, fun fact, uh, was the first Delta Green scenario ever published. It recently got a revamp and a re-release as well. Now, you may have missed drive Through RPG's Cosmic Horror Sale last month, which was 25% off Eldritch Horror games, including Delta Green. But fear not, because BundleofHolding.com is here with an even better deal. For $7.95, you can get the Agent Mega Collection, containing PDFs of the Agent's Handbook, the Complex, which is, you know, more organizations that your agents can come from, and a bunch of Agent Dossiers. Uh, if you pay more than the current threshold price of $38.19, and you will level up and receive nine additional titles in their Handler Mega Collection, including the Handler's Guide, the Conspiracy, the Labyrinth, Iconoclasts and Impossible Landscapes, Static Protocol, Arc Int, and the Handler Screen. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine anybody who's on the fence about getting into Delta Green. This is the way to get in. I mean, Impossible Landscapes alone is worth that price, in my opinion. The sale is going on until about September 24th, so don't miss out. The uh, link is bundleofholding.com forward slash presence forward slash DG Mega. Uh, and for the future, we will here at the Dead Drop keep an eye out for any upcoming sales and try to warn you ahead of time in those future episodes. And speaking of, of new uh, releases, new products, Art Dream has graced us with new Delta Green merchandise. Yes. Yes, we have got a Delta Green Challenge coin that was released uh, in August. It's a solid metal coin, 1.75 inches in diameter, with a green delta opposite the unofficial but popular program motto, Scientia Mors Est. Uh, five days later, we got a 3-inch sew-on patch for Enero Delta with the motto Supra et Ultra, which is above and beyond in Latin. Mm -hmm. uh, that was released as well. You can pick those up, plus a lot more great Delta Green swag uh, by going to shop.artgreen.com. Probably their best merch to date, though. Um, just came out, I think, a couple of days ago. A uh, bright pink shirt that reads Delta Green in the, the famous Barbie font. And on the back reads, do you ever think about death? That is an absolutely <laughs> genius marketing move on the part of our dream. Yeah, it really is. I, I already, We already know patrons and, and folks in the uh, community that have immediately gone and bought it. It was such a good idea. <laughs> Personally, I'm kind of waiting till it cools down again in the fall, and I think I'm going to pick up that sweet Delta Green Raid jacket uh, oh, that yeah. they have. Well, folks, that's the news for now. Vince, uh, what do you say we get to talking about a scenario? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, Sergio, you and I have both run the scenario that we're going to talk about today, and I think we'd have a lot to say about it, which mm -hmm. is why you know we've chosen it as one of the, the first ones to really discuss in detail. 
Uh, for those listening who want to avoid spoilers, skip to the timeline chapter, Green Box Retrospective. So the scenario we're going to discuss is Reverberations. And correct me if I'm wrong, Vince, it's in A Night at the Opera, right? The the book? It is. Yep. It, I think it's the very first scenario in the Night at the Opera uh, scenario collection. So the scenario revolves around agents investigating a 90s rave drug called Reverb. It's back on the streets, better and stronger than ever, apparently. Now, its users and dealers have started vanishing. The agents need to identify and stop the source of the unnatural drug before it's too late. Uh, I, I first want to get into the pros about this scenario talking to you, and then we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of the nuance of it. You know, when I first ran it, the thing that I really appreciated about Reverberations is that it's a really detailed guide to running just a procedural drug investigation. Uh, it has all of the pieces, all of the characters, all of the clues that you need to tell a compelling and, and realistic story. And even though I altered a lot about the narrative, I do believe I stayed true to the facts that were presented within the scenario, and, and it helped. With me, one of the big pros, I think, with this scenario is that it can serve as a great inciting incident for agents that have not yet been recruited into Delta Green. Um, you know, it can really start off as just a traditional uh, law enforcement investigation, and your players can start off as just run-of-the-mill federal agents, cops assigned to this task force, um, that are slowly but surely drawn into the unnatural from there through reverb and the effect it has on those who consume it. You know, you, you ran a night at the opera just kind of going through those scenarios. I did not, um, you know, I don't own the book. I had the scenario itself. And I never really thought that, I think you're completely right. Starting it as a uh, an inception scenario is a great idea. I never really thought about that. But it has all of those trappings because most of it is rather mundane. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a regular kind of investigation. And really only towards the end does it start to get uh, into the unnatural territory. Exactly, yeah. Now, there are some cons with this scenario. It's been discussed at length online, and so I don't think we're necessarily treading new ground here. But uh, in my opinion, I think the challenge with the scenario is that it needs a little bit more of an evocative setting. Uh, I believe in the scenario, it, it starts in Chicago, or that's the kind of the default setting for it. And Chicago has a very rich history and is a very uh, a beautiful city and an interesting place. And I, I think you could run a really great... Um, reverberations campaign or, or uh, scenario set in Chicago, but something about it seems to just not quite be as evocative as as, as other scenario settings. The, the other problem is the antagonist is a little problematic. Um, as you start to read, you find out that the Chocho, uh, the the infamous uh, Chinese, I think they're Chinese or you know, kind Vietnamese. of distantly. Vietnamese, okay. Yeah. They're they're kind of distantly related um, uh, uh, to Vietnamese, but they're really just kind of like evil people. Um, but the problem is that they're they're not quite as interesting as let's say the deep ones, where you know at least you get to see kind of an interesting transformation in the deep ones, and there's that really fucked up life cycle that the deep ones have. Um, yeah. But it, you know the Chocho just have all this baggage of of labeling a race of people as evil. So I, I think it's that's one of the challenges when you approach this uh, scenario. It's funny you mention that. One of the interesting things I ran into when I ran it was I believe. 
Um, Chicago had come up previously because when I when I started running my own campaign on Black Project, we'd started off with Sweetness, and that ended up in Chicago as well. So I wanted to mix it up, and and rather than set reverberations in Chicago, I moved it to Los Angeles, mm. and uh, I feel like it really it really fit that city better um, than necessarily Chicago. Right. Uh, I, I think you know Los Angeles is is such an ethnic melting pot, cultural melting pot. It's a, it's a great spot to for that type of scenario. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you about the JoJo man. It, it's it's definitely one of those areas that you've gotta you've gotta handle delicately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if if you haven't done lines and veils or any kind of you know safety check ins with your players. Um, it, it could be one of those areas where th- that inherent you know, sometimes veiled, sometimes not racism of Lovecraft's fiction right. can can come to the fore a little bit more than you might like it to. So definitely kind of step carefully around the, that particular subject matter. Right. And I don't think the people at Arc Dream, uh, you know, the devs at Arc Dream intended for this. This is it just kind of shakes out that way, especially as, you know, time passes and, and we just see the way that um, media can be skewed. The opinions of, of minority groups can be skewed or, or used uh, in in a negative light. I, I think that, you know, like I said earlier, the the deep ones can be from anywhere. They can be anybody uh, and, and they become something else. They become much more alien. You know, ultimately the Chocho are, are at their heart just worshippers of Nyarlathotep, uh, you know, in his many forms. I think in this case, it's the Black Buddha. So this kind of brings us to some of the changes that we would recommend. Uh, for me, I it was important to me to select a compelling backdrop and and it happened to be Devil's Night 1984 in Detroit. Now Detroit is obviously an evocative setting just because Detroit has so much history, so many ups and downs, and you add on to it making it a time period, uh, 1984, or making it uh, a period piece. And then on top of that, you add the complication of a situation where folks were randomly setting fires uh, not long before Halloween in Detroit, aka Devil's Night. This is something that really happened. Just adding that little wrinkle to it gave it a little bit more of an atmosphere and and made the, the, the players just feel like it was... There was more on the line, right? If, if they weren't going to get caught by the antagonist, they might get caught in a fire or something like that. It just kind of really upped the ante. Uh, also, the antagonist, I decided to change it from the Chocho to the Fate or Stephen Alziz. We know that in the 80s, the Fate were still around. In the more modern version, they're kind of gone from, uh, they've been all been, you know, kind of eliminated. But I thought the fate were a compelling enemy because they didn't have the messiness of the Chocho, but it made sense that they might be trafficking drugs. In the actual version of the the scenario, Reverberations, there's one single line that actually links the the whole thing to the fate. And it's something that you most players wouldn't find. Uh, I believe that there's a VHS that one of the characters that they meet throws out a window and if the players are smart enough to go and investigate a dumpster you know outside of the building that this character is in they find this vhs and on the vhs they see somebody enter the building and give uh uh, some reverb to uh the the main antagonist spider j or at least you know one of the main npcs 
So when I read that, I realized, oh, all of this goes back to the fate. And, and even though it's written in a time where maybe the fate aren't as uh, prevalent or relevant, uh, they are also uh, Nyarlathotep worshippers adjacent. You know, we uh, Aziz is heavily implied to be a, an avatar of Nyarlathotep. But I thought, okay, maybe I can take out the Chocho and put in the fate. And it started just kind of the, the wheels turning in my head about why. Why would the fate be selling drugs in Detroit that ultimately, if you take too much of the drug, you get you know, snapped out of existence by a hound of the angles. And then I made the connection that, well, maybe the fate are trying to eliminate the competition in Detroit. And what an easy way you, you, you know, release into the city, this drug that if you take too much of it, uh, like a dealer might, or people who are involved with the, the, the drug, uh, world, uh, of Detroit, they start disappearing. And then the fate could move in. This is obviously heavy spoilers for my uh, Doom to Repeat campaign, the first season. But I thought that that was kind of a, uh, a motivation that made sense to me and was a good way to take out the Chocho and put in a different enemy. Um, I also added a ghoul, uh, Tanika, which is supposed to be Spider-J's girlfriend. I made her a ghoul and a kind of go-between between the fate and uh, uh, Spider-J, almost like she was helping them kind of bring it in and uh, for a price. And I also added Deborah Constance, who we all know eventually becomes Agent Nancy. I thought, because Doom to Repeat is so much about the history of uh, the organization, Delta Green, etc., I thought it was important to bring her in. She eventually became more of a character as the, uh, the seasons went on. Those were some of the changes I made. Obviously, a lot of these are very extreme, uh, but um, I think they work for me, and I think that it's okay because like we said in the beginning there's so many good clues and facts in this scenario that you could completely take it apart and put it back together again in a new scenario and it'll still work a, a new situation i mean absolutely no i i completely agree the, the way you you kind of did that yourself it worked brilliantly and that's a great example of what you can do with with the um with the various leads that, that Shane Ivey has kind of written to the scenario. Right. Some of my suggestions would be, I, I ran it pretty much as written, um, but if you're looking to kind of flesh it out, definitely consider introducing corrupt cops, you know, corrupt law enforcement mm. as, as, a, as an angle, maybe even as dealers themselves, uh, along with um, the recommended rival gangs that are in there or community reporters that are chasing a story. Yeah. Um, when meeting members of the local uh, Chocho community, I would just consider making them just Vietnamese instead um, and you know because especially if you want to you know you're hard set on having the Chocho be included um, you know have the, the you know the wider Vietnamese community but then have the Chocho be some kind of like radical cult that the others view with, with disdain and distrust and it's it's viewed as a radical faction or splinter right. group that is that is not legitimate in the eyes of the wider Vietnamese community um, I'd also even you know make the local advocacy alliance group an actual legitimate Southeast Asian rights organization uh, that has possibly been infiltrated or co-opted by the cult uh, bottom line just take steps to ensure you're not villainizing an entire ethnic group uh, unnaturally tainted or not and highlight the fact that this is an offshoot that is neither supported by nor representative of the local community That'd yeah, th that's really the best way to solve it without, you know, if you don't want to do a bunch of work and put this in a new setting and, and you know, have all, all new characters and stuff like that, it, it, that really is the best advice is just make it clear. There's a clear delineation. The other thing that I might recommend is, uh, 
you know, consider making some of the characters friendlies. Uh, that's something that I did uh, because it was set in 1984. There was technically only supposed to be three agents, but I had six uh, players, so I made three of them agents. And part of F Cell, I think, was the one that I chose. And yep. then th the other three players were friendlies. And that created a really interesting dynamic, which actually brings me to a realization of mine. And, and that is that be careful to not have the players be too antagonistic towards each other. I had been intending for my run of reverberations to be about three sessions, maybe four <laughs> sessions. Yep. And I think it turned into like seven total sessions. That was a doozy. One of the reasons why is because I set up a, a, a kind of antagonistic relationship between the agents and the uh, friendlies, uh, yep. where multiple episodes were needed to kind of resolve these tensions between them. And so that really drew things out. If you want to run a longer scenario, that's fine. And, and I would say take that advice where maybe there's a little bit of interpersonal stuff that the players need to get over and, and deal with in-game. But if you're not interested in that and you want to run a tighter game, make it clear to the players that you are all working together and this needs to um, be a team effort. Otherwise, it's going to take a lot longer. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just thought it, about that as we were, you know, working on this episode. I was thinking about, oh yeah, wow, that may have been my fault that it, we, it took so long to get through it. It was still very satisfying and fun, but uh, a good tip, I think. Absolutely, yeah. And, and in fact, the friendly angle is one I think is is a good one to to, to recommend and kind of touch on. Is that if you're, you are dealing with a larger group of players, like a lot of first time Delta Green groups um, seem to seem to run into, you know, you got a lot of folks that are being introduced to it from games like D and D, where you've got larger parties and everybody wants to try it, everybody wants to play. So you got a larger group. Yeah. You know, if you don't make them all law enforcement, definitely consider introducing those friendlies, right? Your anthropologists, your historians, your scientists, you know, folks who aren't necessarily government employees or full-fledged members of the conspiracy, but, you know, are, are to use the phrase, useful idiots uh, to, the, to the program. Yeah, definitely, that's always a good piece of advice, and just take the opportunity to make it something special, especially if this is going to be the first, the first scenario that you're running for your folks. Yeah. Additional tips that I would throw out there, eventually the players will get to the kind of penultimate scene. I think that the entire scenario is kind of built around this where they interact and they witness uh, the hound of the angles come out of Spider-J's eye, the corner yeah. of his eye. Um, yeah. You know, this is, I think, good advice for all of uh, Delta Green. But, you know, don't go into too much specific detail about the hound. If you want it to be scary, don't really describe it as even a hound. Describe the complexity of the shards of reality as I described it and the way it, you know, would steal reflections and and the weird noises it makes and you know, maybe imply a little bit of uh, animalistic nature, certainly to threaten the players so that they get the hell out of there so it doesn't destroy all of them. But I think less is more when it comes to describing the unnatural and, and really find weird ways of describing the Hound. And maybe even, you know, this works for Reverb as well. If any of the players take Reverb, as 
many of them, I think, will want to really make it weird, make it a strange experience. I believe that there's uh, examples even listed in the scenario of, of things that Spider-J could describe right. uh, as he's experiencing this overdose of reverb. Uh, you know, take those and play with those and, and use those to inform your own players' visions if they do decide to uh, sample the product, so to speak. This scenario is so much about the city that you're in that you really want to the players to feel like they're connected to the city somehow. Uh, you yes. know, they all need to be either from it or 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 intimately involved with it somehow. You you don't want to bring uh, characters from out of state, or if they do come from out of state, there's something that's grounding them to the city because I think it raises the stakes. Especially if you're going to be using it as as kind of an inciting incident to bring new new agents into Delta Green. Um, if you're dealing with like a narcotics task force that's been organized specifically to look into this, these are all local you know cops who have grown yeah. up and worked in Chicago. These are all uh, federal agents who have been assigned to Chicago for however long and have made it their home. So um, there, there's definitely, yeah, definitely have those those connections there, especially if this is going to be your first outing as a as a cell or as a working group. There's something interesting where Spider J is kind of the source of all of this, but you got to get to Spider J first. So there's a little bit of a controlling of information that the the handler needs to do, because, you know, there's probably a lot of NPCs that have interacted with or know Spider J, uh, but you'll kind of spoil things if you don't meter out that information a little bit. So. Um, if they speak to dealers on the street, if they talk, you know, there's a whole interview section where you can go to the police station and interview uh, folks. Really control that and don't let it out too soon that Spider-J is the source. Or if you do, just, you know, make the next uh, uh, challenge figuring out where Spider-J can be found. I mean, if you're dealing with, you know, the, the, the local gang culture and and, mm -hmm. and and so on and so forth, these are people who are, you know... Um, it, this will not be their first run in with law enforcement. They are seasoned um, uh, telling police to go fuck themselves. Uh, <laughs> so play that up. You know, these are not people who talk. These are not people who snitch. And so if your agents are trying to get information out of them, they better come with either a sweet enough deal or with enough pressure and leverage to, to get at that. So then that can introduce a whole nother angle in and of itself to uh, kind of expound upon the boundaries of this scenario. So when I first read the scenario, I also realized it doesn't have much of an ending, right? So the, the, there's the big climactic reveal of the Hound, and then the players run for their lives, and hopefully they survive. But once that happens, I feel like some handlers might not know how to bring things to a resolution. I'd like to hear from you how you did that, and, and I can talk a little bit about how I did that. Yeah, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I really didn't. Um, it was mm. just one of those things that we just kind of left hanging. Um, you know, they they met these. It, it was kind of an early lesson in do only what your handler tells you, your, your case officer tells you, and and go no further. You know, do only what has been requested of you, and uh, that's it. You know, this is not exactly a profession made for, uh, you know. <laughs> going outside the bounds of a given operation. But, you know, talking with you and kind of seeing how, how you've uh, incorporated various elements, specifically like the fate. I mean, the handler's guide has a lot of great information on where yeah. the fate is today. Right. Uh, so if you're running a modern day scenario, feel free to turn this into the first scenario in a fate campaign, hmm. um, either in a resurgence or some kind of, um, 
you know, these fate hangarounds that are trying to restore the organization to its former glory in the wake of Stephen Elzey's disappearance, um, you know, the, the cult's destruction, what have you, yeah. uh, it, it, or any other insert organization here. Um, it could be a great introductory scenario to just follow that that chain of dealers, suppliers, buyers, etc., all the way to um, some suitably unnatural and terrible conclusions. If you are a bit of a uh, completionist, though, or you do want something satisfying, what I basically did was the the players learned that Spider-J was the distributor, but he wasn't necessarily the source, um, right. you know, the, the way that the scenario describes it. I think the scenario describes that he went to Asia, possibly Vietnam, and he got uh, the Lao, the Black Lotus, from that area i modified it a little bit where he was getting it from the fate and so when the players learned that they realized okay the source of this is in town i i I laid clues for them to learn that they're in town for one night to to drop off some drugs for uh spider j have a connection with tanika who like i said was was a ghoul and they were kind of working together so the players learned this and they decided to kind of do something about this. I think there was also an artifact, uh, a crystal, which was relevant in the Doom to Repeat modern uh, scenario, which, by the way, that that crystal was pulled from the green box generator. I don't know if you've ever messed with that. Um, uh, oh, no bins. shit. But there's that great green box generator, and one yeah. of the options was this crystal that was created by the, uh, not the Mego, but the, the, the Elder Things. Okay. So it was an elder thing way of uh, increasing your uh, power score. The fate wanted that, or or they were trading it to to Tanika. The point is, is that it it gave the players something to bring the story to a resolution about. They got the crystal, although some of them died, but at least they were able to stop the fate from from uh, cementing themselves into Detroit. It at least brought things to a satisfying conclusion. That's maybe a little bit of advice in case you do want to take into a route where it feels like there's an end to the scenario. Absolutely. That's great advice. Yeah, I like Thank that. Thank you. I, I think this is a, a great scenario. I know that there is uh, some criticism online about reverberations, but I really agree with you that this is a, a great possible uh, a first scenario for uh, new players, new agents, and it makes sense that it's one of the first in A Night at the Opera because they probably thought the same way. Hell yeah. It's definitely up there with one of the the better introductory scenarios. You know, of course, Last Things Last is the one that everybody thinks of and recommends for good reason. It's it's a oldie but goodie and it, yeah. it does what it does very well. This is another great one. I'd even argue sweetness to a certain extent. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of great ones out there and and what's phenomenal though is that the the writers do such an amazing job with these scenarios that they give you a great framework that if you decide to tear the walls down to the studs you've got more than enough to rebuild something in in your own image and what fits your group of players in your campaign it's important to remember that for every great tabletop game there is also the community rallying behind it playing the game and spreading the good news In our modern age, when playing in person is tough or downright not possible, we use Discord servers and websites that connect us to strangers so we can all play these games together. But before 2016, Delta Green fans had to find other ways of keeping the game alive. The Shotgun Scenario Contest, the Fairfield website, and the Delta Green mailing list are much more so than anything I did with Night of the Opera, what made 
Delta Green what it is today. They are the ones who kept interest in the game alive in the period in between the release of the older splat books for Call of Cthulhu and the present day edition. That's Max Nelson. He's known in the community as the prolific scenario author Melonbread. He's also the creator of the Night at the Opera Discord, which has been running since 2016 and has become the number one place to meet up and run Delta Green games. It has. It's more popular than the official Delta Green Discord. And that's Will Roy, Max's friend, who joined the site to play Delta Green and eventually became the editor and producer of a podcast born from and influenced by the Discord. We did a pilot episode for A Night at the Opera, which is the original title. I wanted to draw a line between our show and the Discord server of which we were members. It's not out of any disdain for the community. I love the community. It's because I wanted the Green Box to be the show that the five of us made because we wanted to make it. We'll get back to the distinction between the show and the Discord, but the Green Box podcast was produced from 2016 to 2020 by Will Roy, Max Nelson, Jake Cook, and Kevin Ham. I'm Jake, and my role on the Green Box was that I was a co-host and very, very occasional uh, audio producer, but uh, more often than that, I was an audio problem. My name's Kevin. A lot of people online know me uh, by my handle, which is Alendel004. I'm a freelance photographer. I've been doing the maps for Delta Green for about four-ish years or so. And then I was uh, I was a member of the Green Box podcast, so 105. The show had other contributors like Thomas DiPaolo and a user named Dole. And usually, most discussions centered around how to successfully run Delta Green. That's pretty much the most discussed topic on the Green Box was how, how to put the clues together because it's something that's difficult in RPGs. It's something that published scenarios struggle with. It's something that everyone who runs the game struggles with. And it's the cause of the most frustration because if you get stuck, then you're going to come away with a negative affect towards, towards the game, which is not what we don't want. Like the Discord, the podcast grew in popularity amongst Delta Green players. We kind of had a captive audience, so everybody from the Discord tended to listen, or people who people who want to listen to a Delta Green podcast, certainly every time we would post an episode would see it, because we would post it on the Discord, we would post it on the, the Facebooks, like Delta Green Street Team. Those areas, you know, the Night of the Opera server, the, the DGML and the Facebook, that's probably, that's 95% of Delta Green players worldwide who want to be engaged. So people who came to Delta Green, who also like podcasts, were obvious, easy listeners. Now, we have to remember that back in 2016, when Max first started the Night at the Opera Discord, uh, the Delta Green Kickstarter had just been funded, and the game in its modern iteration was still very new. Uh, it had started as a Call of Cthulhu supplement, but it had grown in that grassroots popularity uh, through the 80s, the 90s, the early aughts. Now, Delta Green is this multi-award-winning tabletop role-playing game that's played all over the world. Well, Max started it, which is funny because I'm, if I remember, I'm the guy who got Max on Delta Green. So there's a little bit of chicken in the egg there. The first person I played Delta Green with was Will. He was he had told me all about how great Delta Green was, the new standalone edition. And my understanding of Delta Green at that time was that it was like the worst parts of the X-Files, you know, the conspiracy metaplot that everyone hated. A game that Will ran for us that I was introduced to Delta Green and I ended up enjoying it enough that I was compelled to start writing my own material for it. And start writing he did. 
There is currently a nine-page PDF available containing dozens upon dozens of hyperlinks to Max's scenarios, NPCs, artifacts, and all the other great ideas that spilled out of his head while he was inspired by the game. Uh, we have a link to it in the description below. What about Jake and Kevin, though? How did they find the server? I was looking for games online uh, and I came across the r slash Night of the Opera. I got on there like pretty early on. I think I played in some of the first games that were there, maybe the fourth or fifth game there that uh, Melon Bread ran. And then I stuck around because it was a place full of like like-minded people who were interested in the same game, right? Everybody there was, you know, playing games, writing stuff, uh, talking about the games, talking about the old games. Like the community was pretty good. By the nature of the fact that most people who were in Delta Green, you know, tend to have, uh, you know, they tend to be interested in like modern law enforcement or modern military stuff or, you know, history and the mythos and stuff. So there's the, you know, the Venn diagram was, was, was very much a circle, a circle for a lot of things. So we have a bunch of gamers who joined the server run games for each other, begin as strangers and in the process become friends. And one day, one of them has a bright idea. I guess the, the inception of the green box, Kevin came to me and, and Max and said something to the effect of, do you guys want to do a podcast? Uh, the green box started mainly just because we, uh, the group of us who started it, like talking about Delta Green, and we were like, well, we should, we talk about it all the damn time, you know, on Discord, so we may as well, you know, and people seem to enjoy the conversation so why not you know record it and see so when we when we started we basically said hey let's record 10 episodes and just see see if anybody you know gives a hoot 10 episodes came and went and before any of them could really even consider what they were doing they were producing a podcast i'm not really sure what i intended with the show <laughs> it was it was sort of a project that fell into my lap and i thought would be fun to do I remember initially it was supposed to be kind of open to everyone at the community. Like if you could get three people to get together and talk about something, that was what the goal was initially. The, the initial um, room full of people got winnowed down just due to scheduling issues because once you get beyond like four or five people, it's, it's very difficult to pick a regular recording time. It just kind of took off after that. The team not only discussed how to run the game, but they also began highlighting the creative work that was being produced by the community in the form of the shotgun scenario contests. The first contest thing that we ever did was, of course, the shotgun scenario contest, because at the time that we started the Green Box, the shotgun scenario contest was the Delta Green event, right? That was it. That was all there was. Up until recently, the shotgun scenario contest has not been administered by the Night at the Opera Discord. It was administered by the Delta Green mailing list. Uh, Ed Possing is the one who who took it upon himself to run that, and um, now it's run by Kevin Ham. So Vince, remember earlier when I said we'd get back to the distinction between the podcast and the Discord? Well, much to Will's chagrin, I'm not sure that that line was ever very clearly drawn. We tried to discourage where we could if people were like, Oh yeah, I came here from the show. Like, all right, well, we appreciate that you like it, but this is the Discord for the whole community. You know, it's not just our, you know, it's not it's not our thing. So it would be impossible to separate the two in my eyes because so much of what we talked about came from there. It came from the games that we were running, came from the uh, scenarios that people were writing, the contests and the jams and all the other like collaborative work that was on there. Without the Discord, we wouldn't really have had too much to talk about since that's where the majority of our gameplay was coming from, where our experiences were coming from. 
Which brings us to a running theme that I discovered while interviewing everyone. A theme highlighted by all of this fan-made creativity that builds upon the uh, mythos lore. In Lovecraft's day, other writers were inspired by his work, and they built upon his dark pantheon. A, a kind of meta-narrative was born. And it's so cool to see how that sense of collaboration is mirrored by the community. I, I, I would like to think that spirit of collaboration and co-authorship is something that has been shared by the wider, you know, mythos adjacent community. Certainly the guys at Arc Dream seem very, very keen to have other people play in their sandbox, which I cannot say for other, other people who write tabletop RPGs. So major kudos to them. While there are now many actual plays that run Delta Green, including the ones that you and I have produced, there has always only been one green box. Well, sure, okay, but there is also another podcast called The Green Box. Okay, correction, One Green Box Show. We call it The Green Box Podcast to distinguish it from other things that are called The Green Box, but, that, but the, the eventual name of it is just The Green Box. Regardless of the distinction, The Green Box Podcast and its team managed to produce a hundred official episodes along with several bonus sessions. I asked them how they worked together over the five years to pull it off. Yeah, and everybody had something that they contributed in their own way, even if it wasn't like an official sort of responsibility. It's just the way that we all are because of who we are, people as our, our personalities. We didn't all see eye to eye on everything, but we could have the discussion about, you know, like I know between like me and Max, like, you know, Max likes to lean into the the occult and the weird and the, the, the mythos, and I would rather have a mythos free adventure. And neither of us is wrong, but we're allowed us to cover things in different perspectives. When it comes to actually like getting the whole recording software stuff set up, that was all Will. Will is the one who was our editor. He is the one, he probably put more actual work into it than maybe the rest of us combined. It was certainly more than I did. Kevin also did a lot of the guest wrangling. Whenever we had a guest on, it was like nine times out of ten, it was Kevin who, who arranged that. Working in the government for as long as he has, I guess it kind of ingrains that sort of like cat wrangling. Right? Who's who's available to record? What are we talking about? Like that was him. He'd always just kind of like kick our butts to try and, you know, whip us into shape like that. And much of the actual content work of the things that we talked about, most of that was Max, Jake, and Tom. Uh, and I think Tom was the one, he was sort of like the heart of the team because Tom was the one who, when we were at our most venomous, was like, that maybe maybe remember that this is something that you're doing because you enjoy it so act like it and that's really valuable even though you don't realize it at the time you know i'm curious which of their 100 episodes do you think they'd recommend to a new listener i like all of our i think all of our interviews are great all of our interviews are super fun one of the things i love about delta green is that the devs are super accessible they i don't think i've ever heard of them refusing to go on somebody's show and talk because they're like me, they like to talk about themselves, and they like to talk about their work. We love the game. They love the game, and we just get to nerd out together. The one that I always point people to is um, episode 36, where we had uh, we made the mistake of inviting um, Scott Glancy on to talk at us at length. I joke, but Glancy is, is wonderful. He is a great guest, because you don't have to do any work. He just does all the work for you. Episode 40. Uh, that is where we followed the advice of writing a scenario, uh, like at the back of the Delta Green Handler's Guide. They have like nine steps to help you write a scenario. We did that. Those episodes, I think, are are fun because we I get to to do scenario development with my pals, and 
test all of these hypotheses that we're seeing here, like this is the way Fall of Delta Green recommends you build a snare, this is the way the agent's handbook and the handler's guide recommend you do it, this is the way I personally do it. The other one that is my personal favorite, uh, just because I love the subject matter, is uh, Deja Vu. That is about uh, the Groundhog Day scenarios, time loop scenarios, I love those and what they mean for like your agents, you know, what kind of growth your agent might experience or I guess decay ultimately in, uh, in Delta Green because you only lose sanity and never goes never goes up. Then go through our list and find something, you know, you know, we have episodes on, like if you find, if you find in your home game that you're not great at briefings or you're not great at, you know, home scenes, then we talk about those, find that episode. But start with either our Shane Ivey interview, Glancy, or Chris Gunning. Chris Gunning was a lot of fun. He's a really good dude. And, Glenn, and Shane, like we did, a, it was a double episode. And we just talk about all the fun stuff he's working on and how we got into Delta Green and, you know, fun stories about, you know, the, the industry and stuff. So th- that's where I would start with the interviews. Listen, if joining a game or running Delta Green sounds like fun to you, you absolutely need to join the Night at the Opera Discord. Uh, we do have a link to it in the description below. Like what you can find there now, it's like that events channel is popping. They are running games every day, every other day there. And not just like Delta Green, other other game systems. And the thing that I love to see is that when I go on that website now, there's a whole cohort of regular players that play regularly. And that's like a mirror universe version of the like six or ten people whose schedules lined up that I that I used to play with five years ago. And so that makes me super happy to see that there's there's a whole nother generation of, of players and, and handlers on there. Well, as a fan of the show, it was a real treat for me to interview Will, Max, Kevin, and Jake. They, they just could not have been nicer people. Uh, I had to end our conversation, though, asking them what effect, if any, they think the show's legacy has had on the Delta Green community. It would be nice to think that we had an influence on the wider community. I don't know that we ever really did. And I, to be honest, I never wanted to really tell anybody this is the one true way to run Delta Green. Like it was, I always came at it from a perspective of here's, here's how I do it. Here's why I do it this way. Here's what works for me. Take what you want, leave what you don't, right? In theory, in, in five to eight, five years, 10 years, whatever, how to write a scenario or how to do a good briefing, that should still be relevant. So I hope we'll get stuff out of it, you know, as long as it stays on the internet. Uh, for a while, we were probably like the, the primary like source of, tips and advice for running the game. There's always been that that strong uh, Delta Green community, maybe like Night of the Opera is just like the latest incarnation uh, of it. Serge, you did a great job talking to him, interviewing him. Uh, it was really great to learn more about them. And uh, let me just take this opportunity, if you don't mind, to uh, guys, I hope you're listening, to really just extend my most heartfelt thanks to you for everything you've done to support the Delta Green community, to get it to where it is today. Um, I, I really think you played a more instrumental role than maybe you're willing to acknowledge in uh, spreading that gospel of Delta Green. So, so really, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for everything you've done. If you want to hear more about how the show started, the team's interactions with Arc Dream, some of the lessons they learned producing the show, uh, funny behind-the-scenes stories, great advice from some of the team, and a lot more, I suggest you subscribe to our Patreon, where we are offering over 15 minutes of extended interviews. Well, folks, that is it for our first official monthly episode. We'll be back on the second Friday of next month and every month after that with the latest Delta Green news, scenario discussions, and a whole hell of a lot more. 
Thanks for tuning in, guys. Don't forget to check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash RP. We love your support. We love getting uh, questions. I don't know about you, Serge. That's something I would absolutely love to see as suggestions for future discussion topics. So, oh, that's a good idea for sure. Yeah. Future discussion topics. Let us know what you, what you want us to talk about. That'd be great. Um, but until next time, stay safe, everyone. And as always, we will be seeing you. Bye, guys.